Just to bring everyone up to speed, some of you weren't here with us the past three days, three sessions, I should say. And uh, it's a lot to get caught up on. We're going to go through a breakneck speed and hopefully culminate in the conclusion of our series, Fake News, Faulty Foundations. In session one, we looked at Christ, the cornerstone of our how. How is life to be lived? How do we go about doing this life? God says in His Word, love the Lord with all your strength. So how? How do we love the Lord with all our strength? We are weak. We are foolish. We are sinful. We are broken. How do we do this? It seems impossible. It's a battle over self. Well, Isaiah 28 paints it quite beautifully. He says, in that day, the Lord of hosts will become a beautiful crown and a glorious diadem to the remnant of His people. And that's not the verse up on the screen. The screen says, In that day the Lord of hosts will be a strength to those who repel the onslaught at the gate. How do we do it? Well, the Lord of hosts is our strength. That's the how. Similarly, Isaiah goes on to say, In that day the Lord of hosts will become a beautiful crown, a glorious diadem to the remnant of His people. You see, Christ is our strength. Christ is our crown. The thing that we take pride in the most. There is nothing more valuable, nothing more important. Far surpassing anything on this earth, He is the beautiful crown. That is the how. And the beauty of Christ to you in your walk with Him is your how. It is the cornerstone of your how. It is the straight and true foundational block that you build everything else on top of. The beauties of the Lord and your pride in Him. And Jesus summarized it this way. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the how. And you fall in love with Jesus, you're building on that how. You're building on Jesus as your way and your how to walk through this life. That is how. In session two, we looked at Christ, the cornerstone of your what. What do I believe? What is true? What is this world all about? This is your cornerstone for certainty. Your cornerstone to know what is right and what is wrong. What is true and what is false. And God in Deuteronomy chapter 6 once again reminds us that we are to love the Lord our God with our mind. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be mindless. He wants us to dig into His Word. To find those nuggets of truth. To mine the Scriptures. To build upon a foundation of what is important. Building upon a foundation of what is true. Building upon a foundation of what God has provided for us. It's all there in His Word. We just don't open it, right? Isaiah 28, he addresses this issue. He says, For we have made falsehood our refuge. We have concealed ourselves with deception. You see, the age that Isaiah wrote in is not much different than today. We hide ourselves in lies. We thrive with lies. We build up structures of lies, falsehoods. We make it our refuge, seeking shelter in those lies. And it's a faulty, faulty structure. 
It's a horrible shelter. There's no security. There's no protection. It's a deception. But we see Christ, the one who went to the cross in his perfection. The one who was taken down from that cross as a lifeless body, breathless, dead, and put in a tomb. And we see that same Jesus risen from the dead. An empty tomb demonstrating to all that death could not keep him. There was not one sin of yours or mine that could keep him dead. He certainly didn't die for his own sins. He had none. And the completeness, the totality of his sacrifice, the 100% it is finished, is proven by an empty grave. You don't need greater proof than that. There's nothing that could have kept him dead. You see, that is the what of our foundation. That is truth. That is what is significantly important to your faith and to your walk with God. And on top of that, we hear that Jesus, He is the one whom all things were created. The visible and the invisible. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And He said it quite succinctly. He said, I am the truth. He is the what? He needs to be the what of our foundation, the cornerstone of our what. That's what. So this morning, we're going to talk about Christ, the cornerstone of your why. Your why is your, your purpose. Your why am I here? What am I about? What am, why, why do I have this life? What's the significance of this, this life of mine? And again, we go back to Deuteronomy and God tells us to, to love the Lord with your heart. And that speaks quite specifically to our why. Because our heart determines our why. Why do we live? What do we live for? Your heart is guiding you as you walk through life. Well, Jesus said, He's not just the way, He's not just the how, He's not just the what and the truth, but He is the life. He is the totality of this life and the life beyond. And if we ever were, if we ever thought that this life was significant in the here and now, Jesus says, the best life is yet to come. But that's not the, the way the world lives. This is not the way we intrinsically, naturally think. We build on the foundation of the here and now. We build on what we can see, where our heart leads us in the moment. The best life is now, says the world. You know, I've read letters. I read a letter of a young man. He was at the end of his now. He was at the end of his why. He had given up. It wasn't a suicide note, but he was saying goodbye. And his letter told a sad tale of a young man who had no why, who had no purpose. The things that he loved were empty, and he got to the end of it. The people that he had loved were gone. His self-worth and pride Gone. And he was this close 
I, I, can't, I can't even fathom how close you have to get to giving up on self and saying, yes, Lord, I, I, I embrace what you offer me. I embrace the, the why that you offer, the purpose that you give me. I, I believe the truth, the what's that you tell me. I want to live life by your strength in the hows that you offer. And it wasn't less than 12 hours that he was dead. And the whys of life matter. And the world, the foundation of now, doesn't offer anything. This is what the world offers. This is all there is. Your life has no meaningful purpose. Even true love is a lie. If it feels good, it can't be wrong. God just wants you to be happy. And that's the fake news that this world offers. It's empty. It's fraudulent. James 4, he hits the nail on it. He says, what's your life? You are a mist. It appears for a little time and then vanishes. We feel it. We sense it. We look around. We see it. The brevity of life. We read Ecclesiastes and we hear the, the futility of life, the vanity of life. We feel it. We know it. We see it. And it's our best distractions to avoid thinking about it. Right? Isn't this world just really good at throwing distractions at us? Saying, no, 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 don't think about it. It's okay. Spend your time in this way. Foolish distractions. Turn your Bible to Isaiah 28. We're going to read 23 to 29. This is the last portion of our, of our readings in Isaiah 28. If you, if you weren't with us for the other sessions, I encourage you to read it. It's, it's, it's truly fascinating. This portion is quite peculiar, though. It jumped out at me when I first read it. I thought, Isaiah, what are you talking about here? This is really odd. And as you dig through Scripture, you might... You might every once in a while find stuff like that that you're, you're not really sure. Well, verse 23, this is what Isaiah says. He says to Ephraim, he says, Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Okay, good. This is important. Something important is going to be said here. And you're like, okay, I can, I can focus for two minutes. Bring it. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? No. Right? Like we're just talking with Isaiah here. Continuing on. When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat in rows, and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? No. Isaiah, what are you talking about? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Okay, that's interesting stuff. It's about farming. Okay, let's keep reading. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge. If I knew what a threshing sledge was. Nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And I know nothing about farming. 
So I'm lost. What are you talking about here, Isaiah? Well, you're talking about plowing. I see that at the beginning, right? Does he plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? Please understand that when Isaiah was writing, he was writing a message of judgment. Right? The first word of Isaiah 28 is, woe. This is a message. It's not a happy message. It's a, you've gone the wrong way, Ephraim. You messed up. And God has a heart for you. And herein lies God's heart. And I hear Isaiah, the heart of God beating for Ephraim, saying, Please, turn back to the Lord. Return to the Lord. And it's, it's quite an interesting picture that's being painted here. Isaiah is saying that you might be in a season of plowing. God does plow. He prepares the soil of your heart. He gets you ready for the seed. Plowing is not fun. Plowing is painful. It's the challenges of life. It's the hardships. It's the obstacles. But it's the things. It's the very things that remind us that this life is a vapor. It's the very things that remind us that there is something more. There is significance that far exceeds beyond this world. It's that echo in our heart that says, what's next after this life? And the sowing, sorry, the plowing of your heart, the plowing of your, the soil of your life, while it's not comfortable, and the experiences that maybe you've gone through are horrible and painful and frustrating, and you come before God and you say, why? Why God? Why? The words of encouragement from Isaiah to the people of God is that those hardships are temporary. That's not forever. He's saying the plowing is not forever. There's going to be planting. And where there's planting, there's growing. And where there's growing, there's fruit. God does not desire to see you just an empty plowed field. He wants you to thrive in growing in Him. He wants you to be fruitful. You know, James... This is a beautiful passage. You know it. It says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The purposes of God's sowing in your life is to draw you closer to Him. It's for you to say, I don't have the strength God, you have the strength. I'm coming to you as the one who is strong. I am weak. Do your work in me, God. I've found time and time again that the biggest obstacles in my life are overcome by God's plowing. It's hard. It's not enjoyable. It's not how I would choose to do things. But God says, I love you. I'm not going to leave your soil unplowed. I intend to plant. I intend to see the growth. I intend to see you thrive in the wise of this life. Isaiah goes on to say, Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge. Cartwheel rolled over cumin. 
but dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. I looked it up. A, thres- a threshing sledge is actually kind of what you would imagine. It's a sleigh, a sled. They would stand on the back, and they would pull it across the threshing floor, an open area, and either a mule or a horse or an ox would pull it, and they would spread the seeds all over the ground, and the sledge would crush the seed as it goes over it. The weight of the person standing on the back, the weight of the sledge. And it was for very specific seed. You wouldn't use a sledge, and this verse is quite right, you wouldn't use a sledge over the smaller seeds. The smaller seeds, you wouldn't use a sledge, you would just use like a nunchuck. Right? The, the ancient nunchuck. They would use cartwheels. Sometimes they would just walk and crush. But ultimately, the goal was that the, the, the seed would be separated from the chaff. The chaff is the garbage. The chaff is, you know, I know this isn't chaff, but every time I eat popcorn, I get that little kernel. And that's, like, to me, that's chaff. That's the garbage, right? And they're crushing it. And they're separating it. And it's the wind that comes along and blows away the chaff. Right? That's the garbage. We don't want that. And so Isaiah is saying this. He's saying God will use the necessary tools to work in your life. And sometimes big tools are necessary. Sometimes big tools are necessary for big tools. I, I count myself a tool, a big tool. As someone who messes up constantly. Failure after failure. But God doesn't say, oh, you're too difficult. I'm, I'm tossing the whole batch out. No, he says, I've got a big tool for that. I've got a sledge. I've got the tool, the necessary equipment. So listen, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Though our outer self is wasting away, you might feel the crushing of the sledge. You might feel it. It's going to be uncomfortable. But your inner self, the inside, the part of you that matters, the part of you that lasts beyond this life, it's being renewed day by day. Awesome. For this light, momentary affliction, it's only for a season. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we have no idea what heaven will be like. We have no idea what glory is like. What we see here in this world, what our minds can imagine, pale in comparison to the reality of what it will be like to stand face to face with our Lord and Savior. So, we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that aren't seen. You can't see these things with your physical eyes. It's your spiritual heart. For these things that are seen are transient. They're passing. They're going to be gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Isaiah continues. He says, Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. And here we have, obviously, there's the chaff. Here's the grain. We know that the wicked are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. And we're reminded by Isaiah that hardship is purposeful. So it's temporary. It's not forever. And it's very purposeful. His plans for you certainly are going to encompass hardships. They're going to expose your lies that you've lived under, the shelters that you've built for yourself. They're going to tear apart your, your own personal 
what's and why's and how's of this life. But the purpose is quite clear. It's not grain for grain's sake. It's not crushing to make flour for crushing to make flour's sake. No, it's, it's to make bread. To make worthwhile, substantial produce. Because the Lord disciplines the one He loves and He chastens the, everyone He accepts as His Son. You see, the love of God is what brings you to a point of discipline brings you through the point of discipline. And the hardships that come in life, some of them are disciplinary. You'll know those ones. You'll be like, yeah, I needed to learn that lesson and that was totally disciplinary. I deserve that. I needed that. And sometimes hardships will come along that aren't necessarily disciplinary. But they discipline us. They train us. The purpose of them, at the end, at, at the other side, you can see, whoa, Look what God did in my life. Look at the produce. What was produced by the working of God? You know, it's a life that counts. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The plowed field is not left just plowed. It's not left just seeded to fill up with weeds. It's cultivated to bring up fruit. And if you've ever thought, I want a life that is effective, I want a life that's fruitful, knowing that hardships that come through our lives are part of God's purpose for a life that counts. The why of our foundation is the easy life. And I'm not painting here a picture of a health and wealth gospel. I'm not saying... The Christian life has no hardships. Once you become a Christian, you're set in life as roses. No. The easy life that Jesus talks about is the one where He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the life that says, I don't live under my own strength. I don't live under my own burden of pride. Burden of sin. I live under the power of Christ. So cast off that burden of pride. Cast off the burden of lies. The yoke of Christ is easy. His burden is light. We also, in this life, in Christ, we have all that we need. I know we feel very needy. We're a needy people. We, 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 we look left and right to fill our needs. Paul, he learned how to be content he learned that we have all that we need when he said this. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. He's saying, I'm in situations where I'm in need. But I have learned, whatever situation I am, to be content. That Christ is sufficient. That you have in Christ all that you need. Paul goes on to say, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This is this is Paul saying, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever phase of life you find yourself in, you can do it through Christ. You can endure it. You can handle it. You can cope it. But only through Christ who strengthens you. If you do it under your own strength, you'll fail. If you try to do it on the coattails of your family or the coattails of your friends, you'll fail. 
It's the strength of Christ. Another fascinating verse in Ephesians where it says that Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And every spiritual blessing is every spiritual blessing. I want, I want to think about some of these spiritual blessings. Some of you in your journey with the Lord maybe don't know what you have in Christ. What He offers you. What the spiritual blessings look like. Well, it starts off that you're chosen. Before the foundation of the world, His heart was set on you. His desire was yours for you. His love was for you. He picked you out of the mess, out of the mire. And you're accepted. It's not because of your worth. It's not because you have any qualities that jump out at God and say, Oh, yeah, you're great. I'm going to pick you and I'm going to accept you. No, it is on the work of Christ. It is what Christ accomplished. In Christ, we are redeemed. We are bought back. Our failures. We were slaves to sin. We were unredeemable in the in every sense of the word, until Christ came and paid the price. Until He paid it in its fullness and redeemed us. We are forgiven. We are adopted into His family. We are secured. And we are heirs with Christ. And this is a position of the highest level. There is no position that's higher in this world or the world after. To be heirs with Christ is to be the recipient of the blessings of heaven. It is the abundant life. Jesus said it this way. He says, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He wants you to have that abundant life. It's not out of reach. In Christ Jesus, it's for the taking. A phrase that I love to read by St. Augustine, he says, Love God and do as you please. Wow. Let's think about that for a second, though. I like the do as you please part. It's the love God part that's the hardest. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, right? Like, we love self and do as we please. But when we love God, our do's become what God would have us do. It's, it's true. You, your love for God and the greater love that you have for God and the lesser love that you have for self guides your actions, directs your path. And when you love God, you can do as you please. Because what you please, what you want to do, is precisely what brings delight to God, your Father in heaven. It's what the psalmist said. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your hearts. This isn't, this isn't a call for greed. This isn't a, give me, give me, give me, God. This is a, change my heart, God. This is a align my heart with your will, God. This is I want to delight in you, Lord. 
I want you to be that crown that I am so delighted in. I want your beauty to be above all others. I want to, as the psalmist says, discover the loving kindness that is better than life. And that's the lifelong pursuit of the Christian, is walking through this life and seeing his loving kindness as better than life itself. You're going to pursue loves in various fashions. You're going to go down the path of wasted effort pursuing various loves. And then, one day, you're going to say, His loving kindness is better than life. His loving kindness to me is the most valuable. Because the best life, yes, can be now. If you are in Christ, the best life is now. There is no better life. Don't let anyone tell you. Don't let the world fool you. Don't let the deceiver rob you of your chance to live the best life now, but, but also the best life is to come. It's in the future. You see, if Christ is not your pride now, if your love for Him is, is weak, and your love for self is great, you probably won't actually like the thought of heaven. Heaven is a scene where our love for God overflows in ceaseless worship. Now you may say, isn't that going to get a little boring? And I've tried to imagine heaven. And I picture it this way. God revealing in little snippets His perfect, awesome will. And how it unfolded over the course of history. And every little snippet that gets revealed, I don't know if they have big LCD screens up there or how we're, we're seeing it, but I honestly, I'm convinced that we're going to see the things that we don't see now. Some of the questions that we have now that we don't have answers for. The whys of this life. Why did that happen that way, God? And we'll see it. But we won't just be like, oh, that was cool. We'll see that it was Jesus. That it was His purposes. That it was His plans. That it accomplished His goals. That it brought so-and-so to the Lord. That it contributed to this need in this area where Christ was preached for the first time. Where it converted this soul. Where it conquered an addiction. Where it broke down the walls of hatred in this world. And that will go on forever. I don't, I, don't, I don't picture that ever ending, us being amazed by the things that Christ has done in this world. And if that doesn't get you excited right now, you're not going to enjoy heaven. You're not. But it gets me excited. Like, I'm really looking forward to those moments of praise. Paul, he says this, he said, he'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He recognizes that being here on this earth is not as good as being with God in heaven. We're all in that place right now. We're, we are here for a purpose, though. We are here for a why. Paul had a big why. He made a big impact on the gospel. What's your why? What's your purpose? And when your why has come to a close, you will be with him for eternity. Where at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every why you ever had, it won't mean anything at that moment. It won't matter at that moment. You'll see your Savior for who He is. You'll see Him face to face. And all that we will have is to praise Him. All we will want to do is be, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for, for never giving up on me. Thank you for plowing my life, for planting the seed of the Gospel, for growing the fruit of the Spirit, for walking faithfully with me. Thank you. Thank you. So I close our sessions with the question, will I see you there? Some of you I won't see again. There's a lot of people I don't know here. I'm meeting you for the first time. And I may not ever see you again in this life. Will I see you there with Christ in glory? My heart breaks for those that I won't see. You know who you are, Lord. There's... There's unrepentant hearts everywhere. Here's your chance. Today is the day of salvation. Christ extends His pierced hands and He says, Come. Come to the life that is worth living. The foundation that is worth building on. It's Christ, the cornerstone. It's Him and Him alone. Let's pray. God, there is no other foundation than Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected. They tossed it aside. It was, it was garbage to them. But I pray that in this room, we would all accept and embrace the wonderful, beautiful cornerstone that is Christ Jesus. There is no foundation worth building upon greater than Him. There is no foundation stone more true, more straight, more stable. Lord, You've spoken to our hearts. Lord, we speak to You now, Lord, of praise and adoration. But we also speak to You of a desire for less of self, less of ourselves, Lord, and more love for You, God. We fight this battle at the gates. At the gates of this world where the battle is the strongest. The Gospel. The message of the cross. And there is no more important battle than what we do with the message of Christ. Help us to to fight valiantly under Your power, by Your strength, for Your glory as we look for that future day when we surround that throne and worship You in perfection, free from sin forever, Lord. Thank You so much. In Jesus' name, Amen.